Welcome and thanks for joining Pastor Rick Warren. For a transcript and outline of this message, visit saddlebackresources.com. Let's join Pastor Rick. If you have a Bible, open to Psalm 139. When people are hurting, they need simple truth, not simplistic truth. It's not enough to tell somebody who is hurting. Jesus is the answer. Now, of course, we know Jesus is the answer. But we must show how he is the answer. Does that make sense? It's not enough to just say, pray, read your Bible, and go to church. You've got to help people know how to make changes in their lives. Now, the Bible says there's nothing simple about you. You're very complex. You're multifaceted. You're not easy to understand. You're not easy to explain. There are many factors and there are many forces that create you. In Psalm 139, verse 14, David says, Thank you, Lord, for making me so wonderfully complex. Circle that on your outline, wonderfully complex. Guys, if you're sitting next to your wife, whisper into her ear right now, Honey, you are wonderfully complex. (laughs) And then wives, you whisper back, You are amazingly simple. You know, men just have an on and off switch. Women, they've got all these gauges and dials and buttons and, you know, procedures. Men, it's just kind of on and off. Actually, the Bible says we're all wonderfully complex. And to become all that God intends for you to be, you have to look at every dimension of your life, not just one. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 18. I love this in the message paraphrase. A person who fears God deals responsibly with all of reality, not just a piece of it. If you're going to be who God wants you to be, you're going to have to look at every area of your life, every factor, every facet, every force in your life and deal with all of them to be all God means for you to be. Now today, I want us to look at this subject of being who God meant you to be, and I'm calling it winning the hand you're dealt. Because there are actually five factors in your life, not one, but five, that influence your identity and who you are. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Jesus said the master goes out and he gives one guy 10 talents and another guy five talents and another guy one talent. And then he says, go off and make the most of what I've given you. You're not going to be responsible for talents you weren't given. You're not going to be judged by God for opportunities you didn't have. But God is going to judge you one day and evaluate your life on what you did with what you were given. Now the point of the parable of the talents is we don't get the same thing. We don't have the same talents. We don't have the same background. We don't have the same pains. We don't have the same problems. We don't have the same potential. We don't have the same anything except we're all loved by God. We are all unique. We are all different. But there are five factors that create your identity. You did not choose these factors. God dealt them to you. And just as you didn't choose your talents, you didn't choose the talents you didn't get, you didn't choose a lot of other things in your life that that make you you. And so I want us to look at that today. Now, how many of you have ever played poker? Can I see your hands? All right, good. I feel we got a lot of sinners here. All right, good. (laughs) I'm feeling a lot more comfortable now knowing that a lot of you play poker. In five-card stud poker, you have to play the cards you're dealt. You don't get to mix and match them. You don't get to say, I want to play his hand. You can only play the cards you are dealt. Now, in many ways, this is a metaphor in life. There are some things that you have been dealt in life. You didn't choose them. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose when you were born, where you were born, how you were born. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your talents. You didn't choose the talents you don't have. There are a lot of things that make you you that you had no choice in at all. 
They're the hand you were dealt. But you got to play the hand you're dealt. And in many ways, this is a metaphor for life, that life is like a, a hand of poker, that you got to play the hand you're dealt. Now, the Bible tells us a lot about the factors that we're given in life that make us us. In fact, the Bible tells us four facts about the factors of our lives. The first thing, each of these cards represent a thing that makes you you, is that every one of these cards is flawed. Every one of these cards is marred by sin. Every one of these cards is imperfect because nothing is perfect on this planet. The Bible says nothing is perfect except God's word on this planet. Everything in the world is broken. The weather is broken. We have tornadoes, earthquakes, typhoons. The wor- the, God didn't plan for the earth to be that way. It's broken by sin. We know that the economy is broken. Anybody want to agree with that? Okay? And it doesn't work perfectly. We know your body does not work perfectly, right? Things don't work the right way. Your body is broken. Nobody has a perfect body except me. We know that no relationship is perfect. That two imperfect people cannot create a perfect relationship. So you can't have two imperfect people and have a perfect relationship. Nothing in your life will ever be perfect. If you expect perfection on earth, you're expecting heaven on earth, and you're going to be sorely disappointed. Friends, this is not heaven. This is earth. Nothing works correctly here. Everything works correctly in heaven. In heaven, there is no sorrow, no sadness, no tears, no trials, no troubles. No pain, no pressure, no conflict. But this is not heaven. We are to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's done perfectly there but not here. But this is not heaven. And so everything in your life, all of the factors that you've been dealt have imperfections in them. And they're all marred by sin. Okay? That's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is that God sent Jesus as our Savior to not only save us from our sin, to save us into heaven, to save us out of hell, but to save us from ourselves. He sent us, sent Jesus, to transform the, the cards we've been given, to change the deck, to turn it into a winning hand. That's what it means to have Jesus as your savior, and we're gonna talk about that today. The third thing that the Bible teaches is that one day you will give an account to God on how well you played your hand. And God isn't going to say, why didn't you play it like your brother did or your mother or your sister or anybody else? Because you don't have the hand they were dealt. But God expects you to play the hand you're dealt in life to the best of your ability and to make the most of what you've got. And you will give an account of it one day. But the good news and what I want us to look at today is the Bible tells us to how, still, how to still win the game with the hand you've been dealt. What we're going to do today is I'm going to use this metaphor to talk about the five things that influence your life that make you you, and then what God says to do with them to make sure you turn it into a winning hand. If you want to understand who you really are, you have to understand the five factors that make you you. And I am using this metaphor, these five cards, to represent this. Now the first factor that makes you you is what I call my chemistry. My chemistry. You might write that down. This is your chromosomes. It's your DNA. It's your genes. It's your hormones. It is your chemical makeup. At the most basic biological level, it's you and your body. Everything that happens to you in your life happens in your body, and your body is made up of chemicals. Now, some of you were born, for instance, with a hypersensitivity to pain. And, you're, and you notice pain very, very uh, easily. You're the princess in the pea. And if something doesn't fit right or feel right, you notice it immediately. It's not right or wrong, it's just the way you're wired. It's your chemistry. Others of you, you're born with a very high tolerance for pain. Some of you were born with a low energy level. It's not right or wrong, it's just the way you were born. You're you're a low energy person. Others of you were born with a very high energy level. 
Every one of us have structural and chemical weaknesses in our bodies. Some of you have a predisposition to your back going out. It's just the way your body's wired. Some of, some of us wear glasses. Some of us have weak eyesight. It's not right or wrong. It's just part of the way we're wired. Now, all of us have biological and chemical deficiencies. And these create emotional problems. These create physical problems. These create mental problems in our lives. If you have low thyroid, you can exercise all you want. And you're still going to have not enough energy because your thyroid's low. You need to get a thyroid supplement. It's a physical, chemical reaction. If you have uh, calcium deficiency in your body, you're going to have brittle bones. No matter how positively you think, you're going to have brittle bones. If you are low on a hormone, uh, estrogen or testosterone, or you have an iron deficiency or any other chemical, it's going to affect you emotionally, mentally. It's going to affect you physically. You know, one of the ones I've been studying recently is the the chemical oxytocin, which is the chemical that creates connection. It's the chemical that bonds you to other people. It's the relationship chemical that allows you to, to connect with others. If you are low on oxytocin, you have a difficult time connecting with others. This has been proven over and over. They did one study on prairie voles. Voles, prairie voles are these little hamsters in the Midwest. And they discovered that prairie voles are one of the few animals that actually mate for life besides human beings. Uh, They're monogamous for life. In fact, if their mate dies, they will not find another mate. And this is very unusual among animals. And so they studied uh, 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 prairie voles and discovered that they're extremely high in oxytocin, that it connects them to each other. And when they lowered it in the prairie vole, they became as frisky as rabbits. Okay, It was a chemical thing. Oxytocin is released in a mother when she nurses a baby. When a woman holds a baby to her breast, it releases oxytocin not only in the baby but in the mother and it is the bonding chemical that binds and bonds a mother to her baby. It's an amazing thing that God has created in our bodies. When a husband and wife make love, When they have sex, it releases oxytocin in both the husband and the wife, and it bonds them emotionally together. That was God's idea. That's why marriages that don't have sex aren't as close as those that do, because they're missing that chemical component that bonds you together. It's also a reason why God says don't have sex with anybody outside of marriage, because you're going to be bonding emotionally to that person who's not your mate. And you're going to leave a piece of your heart there. And that's why rejection and unfaithfulness hurts so much because sex is not simply a physical issue. It is an emotional and spiritual issue and there's a chemical behind it too. They've even discovered that 20 minutes of petting a dog releases oxytocin in both the owner and the dog and bonds the owner and the dog together. It draws them closer. Now, if you don't have oxytocin in quantity in your body, you're going to have a difficult time connecting with people. You're going to have a difficult time trusting people. It's simply part of your chemistry, and it's the way you're wired. Now, I want you to write this down. No flaw, no flaw is sinful or shameful. In my physical body, in my biology, in my chemistry, no flaw in me is shameful or sinful. It's just the way you're wired. You know, the last taboo today is mental illness. People don't want to talk about it as if that's some kind of bad thing. Mental illness is no different than physical illness or spiritual or emotional illness. It has a chemical basis. And mental illness is no more need to be ashamed of than, say, uh, cancer. Or emotional illness needs no more to be ashamed of than, say, uh, you know, you've you got a degenerative disc in your back. It's just part of who you are, that everything in our lives is broken and there is a chemistry behind it. Your genes, G-E-N-E-S, have flaws in them to make you unique. 
Why? Because you're not a carbon copy or a clone or mass-produced anything. Any artist knows that they'll often create a flaw in a picture or in a vase or in a, uh, a piece of pottery to say, there's nothing else like this in the world. It has this unique flaw in it. The flaw creates the uniqueness. Your genes have intentional flaws to create your uniqueness. And your flaws are a part of your custom design. And God designed you, and he even uses those flaws for his purpose and his glory. The Bible calls them, Paul calls them, my thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't actually know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We know some kind of physical or mental disability. We're not sure. A physical or mental disability that Paul carried all of his life. And Paul says, it forces me to be dependent upon God. In fact, he told the Galatians, the people in the city of Galatia, the area of Galatia in Greece, this, here on the screen. Galatians 4.13, he says, you remember, you guys, that it was because of an illness... It was because of an illness that I came to you the first time preaching the good news. God used even an illness to get the gospel out. And this happened in Paul's life. And I'm sure the Galatians were glad that Paul got sick. Because he ended up going to Galatia for whatever reason. We don't know why. And while he was there, he taught the good news. And those people were saying, we're going to go to heaven. So thank God Paul got sick. The first characteristic in your life that makes you you is your biology, your body, your chemistry. Now, the second thing that determines your identity is connections. My connections, my chemistry and my connections. My connections are my relationships in life. You are a product of your relationships, especially your early years relationships. Now, those relationships may have been good, or they may have been bad, they may have been healthy, they may have been unhealthy, they may have been non-existent, or they may have been abusive. But you are a product of your relationships, particularly those early year relationships. Study after study, I've told you this before, has shown that your identity, how you see yourself, is largely determined by what you think the most important people in your life think of you. What you think the most important people in your life think of you tends to determine your self-image, your self-esteem, your self-concept. And that's why I've told you many times, make sure Jesus is the most important person in your life. Because he's gonna love you unconditionally and he's gonna tell you the truth. So the connections in your life, your relationships help determine your identity. My connections give my life meaning, my connections give my life purpose, and my connections give my life identity. If you grew up feeling disconnected from other people, you have a hard time with meaning in your life. You have a hard time with purpose in your life. You have a hard time with your identity. People who have really healthy connections, healthy relationships, they're not going, does my life matter? They never ask that. They know their life matters because there are healthy relationships in their life. But if you feel disconnected, if you feel dysfunction in your relationships, it affects your identity. It affects your meaning and purpose. Why? Because life's all about relationships. One day Jesus is walking down the street and a guy comes up and says, Lord, what's life all about? Jesus says, life is all about love. It's not about accomplishment. It's not about acquisition. You know, it's not about popularity or power or prestige. It's about love. It's about relationships. He says you can summarize all of life in two sentences. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. Be connected to God. Be connected to each other. Be in harmony with God. Be in harmony with each other. Make the connection with God. Make the connection with others. He said if you don't have that, you miss the purpose of life. It's all about love. It's all about relationships. And if you don't understand that, then you wonder why your life lacks meaning. This is called the great commandment. Now in the second factor in my life, the second card, my connections card, there are three problems with this. One of them, I already mentioned, is we're all imperfect. And since we're all imperfect, there are no perfect relationships. That causes problems in our lives. We hurt each other. We have conflict with each other. We have stress. We misunderstand each other. 
Second, sin, sin disconnects us. It disconnects us from God. All have sinned and fallen short. We are separated from God. And it disconnects us from each other. We can see this in the very first couple, Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship. They were in love. They had no conflict. They had no disharmony. Everything's going great. And God says, guys, you can do anything you want to in this garden, the Garden of Eden. Here's just one thing you can't do. Don't eat that fruit right there. Now, God didn't give them 10 things to not do or 100 things. He only gave them one. Why did he give them one? Because he had to give them a choice. Because it's not love if you don't have a choice. If I can't choose to not love you, then it's not. If I'm forced to love you, it's not love. So God gave him the minimum temptation. One thing. You can do anything you want to, but just this one thing. And what do they do? They head for the one thing they're not supposed to do. And as I've said many times, after they sin, Adam takes it like a man and he blames his wife. (laughs) And he says... When God says, what did you do, Adam? He goes, Lord, the woman you gave me gave me this fruit to eat. Now notice, he's not only blaming Eve, he's blaming God. God, the woman you gave me. He's saying, God, if you hadn't brought this female in my life, we'd be like this. Okay, things would be copacetic, things would be great, but you brought this woman into my life, and therefore, God, it's really your fault. He starts blaming, and we have been doing it ever since. Accusing and excusing, accusing and excusing, accusing and excusing. We accuse others and we excuse ourselves. We hide our faults and we hurl at others. And we've been doing it ever since. And that affects our connections. Now, once they sin, they not only feel disconnected from God, Adam and Eve suddenly feel disconnected from each other. What's it say? It says they went and they sewed clothing out of fig leaves and started covering up. Who told them to cover up? God didn't. Who told them it was wrong to be naked? God didn't. Who told them they had to hide from each other in their marriage? God didn't. Sin did. Sin did. And we have been covering up ever since. Our vulnerabilities our defects, our faults, and we don't be real with each other, and we fake it even with those we love the most. And that is what sin does. It causes us to cover up, and men and women and people have been covering up ever since, not just physically, but emotionally. And that connection card has caused all kinds of damage in your life. Because nobody's perfect and sin disconnects us. But here's the third problem with this card. The more disconnected I am, the more fearful I become. Fear comes from disconnection. When I feel disconnected from God, I fear God. When I feel disconnected from you, I fear you. When I feel disconnected at a party, I I fear everybody at the party. Disconnection causes fear. And if you grew up feeling disconnected, you have a hard time trusting other people. It's part of the way Your identity has been formed. Now what happens is we get caught in this dilemma. And it is a terrible dilemma because we crave connections. We crave it. We deeply crave it. But we fear making connections. We crave intimacy. We crave it. We crave intimacy. But we fear vulnerability, which is the only way you get intimacy. It's like we want one without the other. Now, I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about in every area of your life, that deep soul searching heart to heart. I'm totally understood. You totally understand me. And we accept each other and love each other. We crave that, but we fear the vulnerability. We crave acceptance, but we fear rejection. And that forms your identity. There's a third card that makes you you. My chemistry, that's my biology, my body, my connections, that's my relationship. The third card that makes you you and makes me me is my circumstances. These are the things that happen to you. These are the things that happen around you. None of these things were in your control. You didn't choose your chemistry, you didn't choose your initial connections, and you certainly haven't chosen all your circumstances. The things that happen to you and the things that happen around you help shape your identity. You are a product of the traumas and the troubles in your life. You are a product of the suffering 
and the, sh- the, 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 the suffering and, and the shame and the shock and the stress. Problems shape your life. Pressures shape your life. Pain shapes your life. If you've ever been abused, I'm sorry, but your abuse has, has affected your identity, whether it was physical, emotional, sexual, or whatever. And I'm sorry, but it has affected your identity. If you've ever experienced rejection, that has affected your identity. If you've ever had a failure or a series of failures, a major failure in your life, that has affected your identity. And you start telling yourself things over and over. If you had a crisis, if you had a catastrophe, these are all things that leave scars on your identity. It's part of what you were dealt in life. There's a fourth card, a fourth factor that makes you you, and this is a big one. It's what I call my consciousness. My consciousness. And my consciousness, you might, I want you to write this down, is how I talk to myself. That's your consciousness. How I talk to myself. How you think about you. Oh, you never do that? You do it all the time. You're doing it right now. He said, you know, and how soon do we get out of here? You're talking to yourself constantly. Constantly. There is never a time in your life when you are not talking to you. Now, if you talk to your friends the way you talk to you, they wouldn't be your friends. Because you are your toughest critic. And by the way, you lie to yourself all the time. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. You lie to yourself more than you lie to anybody else. You tell yourself things that just aren't true, but you believe them. Now, your consciousness influences your identity. What I say to me. Now, what other people said to me, they said, you're no good, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you're uncoordinated, you aren't very attractive, you're a loser, blah, blah, blah. And you filed that, but then you started repeating it. And you start saying it over and over. Yeah, it's just like me to be this. It's just like me to be this. And you've said it over and over and over. And it got deeper and deeper in your consciousness. Your habitual thoughts are your identity. What you think about you, that's your identity. The Bible says this. Look up here on the screen. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart... So he is. What you think about you, that's you, whether it's true or not. Proverbs 4.23 says this here on the screen. Be careful. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And if you want your life to go in a different direction, you're going to have to direct those thoughts in a different direction. Now, here's the amazing thing. I just mentioned it. When you think a thought, it doesn't have to be true to hurt you. You just have to believe it. And so, if somebody says, you're never going to mount anything, and you believe it, guess what? You're never going to mount anything. If you tell yourself, this marriage isn't going to last, it isn't going to last. The person who says, I can, and the person who says, I can't, are both right. For as a man thinketh, so is he. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And if you think a thought long enough, you become it. And if you believe it about yourself, you act it out. And here's the problem. You know those fears you've got that you keep going over and over and over in your mind? Our fears are often self-fulfilling. We sabotage ourselves. We set ourselves up. Job chapter 3, verse 25. You know what happened to Job. And in Job chapter 3, verse 25, Job says this. What I have always feared has happened to me. What I have always feared has happened to me. And what I dreaded has come to be. A self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the problem with fear. Fear. Is but fears can become reality. We start acting in that way. I'm afraid to do this, and so then you are afraid to do this. I'm afraid I can't do this, then you can't do that. You say, there's nothing I could do to change. Are you sure? You have to challenge your thoughts. You have to challenge your misperceptions constantly, or they're going to dominate your life and send you in the wrong direction. Because you tell yourself all the time, well, I can never change. Are you sure? I want you to write this down. Feelings aren't facts. 
Feelings aren't facts. I feel unattractive. Doesn't mean you are. I feel fat. Doesn't mean you are. I feel dumb. Doesn't mean you are. Well, I feel nobody would ever want to marry me. Are you sure? Feelings aren't facts. They're feelings. And feelings lie all the time. So my consciousness affects my identity. But there's a fifth card. And this fifth card is so important because it controls all the other cards. The fifth card that makes me me is my choices. My choices. Now the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. Nobody else, no other animals are created in the image of God. Cows aren't created in the image of God. Rabbits aren't created in the image of God. Monkeys aren't created in the image of God. Only human beings are created in the image of God. What does it mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is this. You have a free moral choice. Dogs can't make moral choices. They have instincts, but they don't know the difference between right and wrong. Cats, elephants can't make moral choices. There are no ethics to an elephant. There's no morality to an elephant. You have the choice to choose. That's because you're made in God's image. God made... Angels don't have that choice, but you do. You have a choice to do right or wrong. Now, the freedom of choice is your greatest blessing. It is also your greatest curse because we make stupid choices all the time. We make dumb choices. We make self-defeating choices. We make harmful choices that harm ourselves, our bodies, our circumstances, and everybody around us. And so it becomes a, 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 a negative thing in our lives. It's a blessing, but it's also a curse. But here's the good news about this card. This one right here, God says, it's a wild card. It's the wild card. And this card can change the suit and the number of any of the other cards you're dealt. This is the wild card. Your choices can determine these other cards. Now, I didn't get to choose my chemistry, but I can choose what I do with my body and how I make the most of what I've got. That's my choice. And I can choose to do the best I can with what I've got. I didn't choose all of my relationships, but I can choose how I respond to them, and I can choose new relationships, and I can choose to learn relational skills, and I can choose a lot of things that will change my connections. I don't choose my circumstances, but I certainly can choose how I respond to them. I am response-able. That means I'm responsible. I'm able to respond. God has given us responsibility, which means we have the ability to respond. And I don't control everything that happens to me, but I control everything that happens in me by what I choose to do in that response. And even on my consciousness, I didn't control what people said to me, those old tapes that went in my mind, and I started believing them, believing them, but I can choose to stop believing them. And I can choose to think differently, and I can choose a different consciousness, and I can control my thoughts, and I can change the rudder of my boat by simply changing the way that I think. This is the good news. And if you use it, you can change the number and the suit of every card. And your life and your destiny in eternity is determined by this card. Ultimately, your identity is based on your choices. And it's the wild card that can change everything else. Now there are five winning choices that you can make with the hand you've been dealt. And each of them has to do with each of these cards. With this first card, my chemistry, my biology, my chromosomes, my makeup, my physical being. Number one, first choice, I can choose to get healthier. I don't care what handicap you have in your life, you can be healthier than you are right now. I can choose to get healthier. There are things that I can do that will increase my energy. There are things that I can do that will lower my stress. There are things that I can do that will cause me to have more power, more health in my life. 
I can eat better, get more sleep, reduce the stress. There are all kinds of things that I can do. And that's totally in my control. And instead of bemoaning the fact that you don't have an Olympic body, that you're not a sprinter or a gymnast, and you can't make those turns or swim or dive or whatever like we've seen for the last two weeks. The fact is, instead of bemoaning what you don't have, you need to do a better job of making the most of what you've got. And the fact is, you're not. You're not making the most of the body you've been given. Psalm 119 verse 30, uh, 73 says this, you made my body, Lord. Now give me sense to heed your laws. Give me sense to heed your laws. There are certain things you can learn. If you have chronic pain in your life, you need to learn principles of pain management. There are things we know about pain today that we didn't even know 10 years ago. You might write this down. The pain is in my brain. (laughs) Write that down. The pain is in my brain. Yeah, it starts in your rear end or wherever, your back, your knee, whatever. But that's sending signals to a certain place called your brain and pain is processed by the brain. You can change your pain level by changing your brain. That's controllable. That is flat out controllable. And so improving the controllables reduces the impact of the uncontrollables in my life. Does that make sense? The things in your life you can't change about your body. You're never going to be one inch taller. You're never going to be as handsome as me. (laughs) But there are a lot of things you can't change. But you can change the controllables. And you could have more energy than you've got. And you could be in better shape. And you could probably extend your life some simply by eating right, doing right, being right. Things like that. So, that's in your control. Maybe you need to go get a checkup. Maybe you need to go get some blood work. Maybe you need to go see a dentist. Maybe you need to um, uh, get a supplement or or get on some kind of hormone replacement or, or whatever, I don't know. But the fact is, there are some steps you can do. Medicine, exercise, controllable things, Daniel plan. So I'd like to work on my marriage. I'd like to work on my health. I would like to work on my uh, uh, career. I'd like to be stronger in the Lord. But I come home and at night and I'm so tired and I just lay down on the couch and veg out in front of the TV. That's an energy issue. And so you start with the physical, the first card. What do I need to do physically? Shakespeare said, it's impossible to be a philosopher with a toothache. And it's true. And it's hard to feel close to God when you're in pain. So deal with the pain. Number two, second choice has to do with my connections. And the choice I make here is I can choose to deepen relationships. That's an intentional choice to make my relationships better. They can be better than they are right now. I can choose to deepen my relationships. I can learn some communication skills. I can build some new, healthy relationships and replace some bad, unhealthy relationships. I can reach out. I can work on my relationships. I can risk connecting. And I don't say that word risk arbitrarily because any connection you make is gonna be a risk. If you're gonna build some new, healthy relationships, you're gonna have to risk some connecting. Would you write this down? The fear of rejection prevents connection. The fear of rejection prevents connection. And really the reason why you feel disconnected is your fear of being rejected, your fear of being disapproved, your fear of being hurt, your fear of, of, uh, of others. Let's go back to this issue of marriage. A lot of you have said, you know, I I really, in my heart of hearts, I'd like to be married. Or I'd like to be remarried. But I'm not. And you're telling yourself, no one would ever want to marry me. Are you sure? That's a feeling, not a fact. I could never get remarried at my age. Are you sure? That's a feeling, not a fact. And as long as you believe it, of course, that's going to be true. 
but you're, you're basing it on feelings, not fact. Nobody would ever want to marry me the way I look at my age. You say, but I'm just not good at social interaction. I don't like that dating stuff. It's so icky. <laughs> I'm just not good at that. And that's the fear of rejection. Would you write this down? Awkward won't kill me. <laughs> Feeling awkward won't kill me. Of course it's awkward in developing a new relationship. I've never met anybody who didn't feel awkward in developing a new relationship. Welcome to the human race. But you move against that awkwardness and you find out feeling awkward won't kill me. How do I get rid of fear? How do I get rid of that fear? 1 John 4.18, look here on the screen. There is no fear in love. On your outline, circle that, no fear. There is no fear. There is no fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, why does love take away fear? Because love takes the focus off me and puts it on somebody else. It's not about me, my needs, my help, my heart, my hurt. It's about you. Love has no fear because it's not about me. You see, this is why you get uptight in social settings. You go to a party and you walk in and the first thing you think is, how do I look to everybody else? What is everybody else thinking about me? Do I have spinach in my teeth? Are my legs crossed just appropriately? Is there any toilet paper dangling from back behind me? How do I look? How, what does everybody think of me? I'll tell you, they're not thinking about you. No one in that party is thinking about you. You know why? Because they're all thinking, how do I look to everybody else? They're not even thinking about you. This this is the fallacy of single adult parties. We go in thinking everybody's, I've got to worry about how everybody's going to look at me. Nobody's looking at you. They're all uptight about themselves. Now, self-centeredness walks into a room saying, how do I look to everybody else? Love walks into a room going, who here needs my help? Who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs a pat on the back? Who could use a little affirmation? Who at this party looked like they're a little on the outside and uncomfortable and I could put them at ease? Love, humility, is not thinking of yourself less. I'm no good, I'm nothing, I'm junk. No, humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't thinking of yourself as, as not good. Humility is just not thinking about yourself. You're so focused on thinking about other people, you're not thinking about yourself. If I walked out here week after week and I worried about how I looked to you, I walk in, I'd be scared to death. But if I come out here and I'm going, Lord, what do these people need? And I'm thinking about you, your needs, your hurts, your interests. I'm not thinking about me. Perfect love casts out all fear. The antidote to your social phobia is to get your eyes off you, to stop being so self-centered, and to think about somebody else, and to think about their needs, their hurts, their interests, and how you could help them. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, I'm, I'm not a fear, I'm not, a, I'm not an authority on a lot of things, but I am an authority on fear, because I've dealt with it my entire life. And fear is F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It's not real. So how do you get rid of the fear in your life? The fear of making that connection. The fear of making a commitment. The fear of getting to know a stranger. The fear of getting in a small group. All of these things. How do I get rid of that? You can't talk yourself out of it because fear isn't logical. It isn't rational. And so you can rationalize it all you want, but it isn't going to go away. There's only one way to get rid of fear. Do the thing you fear the most. Move against your fear. Fear does not go away from logic. Fear goes away from action. 
and you walk up to the Red Sea and the, and the, the Egyptians are behind you and you go, God, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a no place. I'm in a cul-de-sac. I'm hemmed in. And you step in and the water parts. And you go to the Jordan River and the water is there and you got to go across the Jordan and you step in and the water backs up. You move and the fear vanishes. Fear is always worse than the reality. Why? Because fear torments you 24 hours a day and the reality, that party might even only last an hour. And it's, the fear is always worse than the reality. And so you have to say, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to let love, look at this next verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Let love be your highest goal. That ought to be the goal for the rest of your life. God, it's not about accomplishments. It's not about achievement. It's not about fame. It's about love. Love is going to be my highest goal. Life is all about learning how to love. I loved and I got burned so bad. I gave my heart on a platter and they took it and stomped on it and tore it up into a grinder and made hamburger out of it. And I'm, I am still hurting from that. And? And? You think that excuses you to not love again? Show me that in the Bible where it says you get hurt by love that allows you to no longer love anybody. Nonsense. Nonsense. You are not allowed to not love. Love means risking connections. It means stepping out. You say, well, what happens when I really tried to love this person and it was blocked? What do you do with a blocked love? You always redirect it. If you try to love somebody and they reject your love, let me tell you, friends, there are billions of people in this world who are dying for your love. And they're all around you. And when your love is blocked and you can't love in that direction, then you love in this direction. And there are plenty of people, like the elderly, who need your love. Like orphans who need your love. Like little girls and little boys growing up without daddies who need your love. There's people all around you. There's people on your row who are starving for your love right now. You do not get to say, I'm not going to love because I got hurt once. You ought to pray, Ephesians 3.17. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love. Circle that. Your life will be strong in love and be built on love. So circle that. Strong in love, built on love. You ought to pray that every morning. Get up in the morning and say, God... Today, here's what, Jesus Christ, I want you to fill my heart by faith. And Jesus Christ, today, I want to be strong in love, and I want to be built on love. By the way, where do you learn connection techniques? The church was designed to be the laboratory for love. Now, you can't love a crowd. There's only way you can learn love in this church, get in a small group. That's why we insist everybody, everybody, everybody be in a small group. The very reason you're afraid to get in a small group is the very reason you need it. It would feel so awkward. Yeah, move against your fear. And you know what? You'll build some relationships, some new connections that will strengthen you and help you become a great lover. And you love the ideal people? No, you love the real people. And in every group, there are going to be some people you have a hard time getting along with. Congratulations. That's an opportunity to learn how to love. Number three. The third are the circumstances of life. The trauma, the trouble, the pain, the pressure, the problems. The stress, the, you know, the, 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 the suffering in my life. What do I do this? Number three, I can choose to trust God no matter what happens. I can choose to trust God regardless of my circumstance. And that gives you an identity nobody else is going to have. Romans 8, 27 to 29. I love this in the message. God knows us far better 
than we know ourselves. That's why we should trust him, not our own judgment. God knows us far better than we trust ourselves, so he knows better for me than I do. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God, circle every detail, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. It's not all good, but it can be worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. I didn't. But he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him, that's you and me, along the same lines as the life of his son. God's goal is to make me, to make you like Jesus, his son. The son, Jesus, stands first in the line of humanity he restored. And we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. God wants to use every circumstance in my life to make me like Jesus. So, Psalm 34, 1, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Friends, when you get to that point, that's a choice. When you could say, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. That is a confidence nobody in Hollywood has. That is a confidence nobody on Capitol Hill has. That is a confidence that no businessman on Wall Street has. It's the confidence that says, I don't know, come on, hit me. Hit me with your best shot. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. That is a confidence that is not built on money or sex or status or passion, possession, position, or all those. It's built on my relationship to God, and that can't be taken from me. And I will praise the Lord no matter what. And that is a confidence you can't get anywhere else in the world. And when you have that kind of confidence, you are an amazing woman. And you are an amazing man. Because most people never get that kind of confidence. But it's an identity you're not going to get anywhere else. I want you to write this down in your outline. I am a product of my past, but I'm not a prisoner of it. I am a product of my past. Yeah, it, it, it has influenced me. My chemistry, my connections, my circumstances, they've all influenced me. I'm a product of my past, but I am not a prisoner of it, and I can be different. And that leads me to number four, and this is a big one, the fourth choice. I can choose what I think about. Now, I can't choose what other people say about me or what they say to me, but I can choose what I continue to allow in my mind. Yourself is created by your memories. Your memories actually come from two different parts of your brain. Now, the bad memories, the painful memories, the memories of shame, the memories of guilt, the memories of anger, the memories of embarrassment, they're all up there in the amygdala. Your happy memories are in another part. You know what those other memories, they're never going away, but you can overwrite them. You can overwrite them. And I can choose what I think about. Yourself is created by your memories, and your memories are created by your mental habits, the way you choose to think. Every time you think a thought, it creates an electrical current across your brain. It's kind of like if I were able to take the top of my head off and show you if I think a thought, every time I think that same thought, it's kind of like this, okay? <laughs> kind of looks like me, doesn't it? Okay, uh, that, that thought, the electrical current goes across your brain. When you think a thought, it creates a pattern. You think it again, a bigger pattern. When you think a thought a thousand times, it creates a rut. Some of you have a grand canyon of doubt in your mind. Some of you have a grand canyon of depression in your mind. Now, for years, there wasn't a whole lot of hope that anything could happen because for years, science has taught us. In fact, the entire 20th century, everybody thought that the adult brain could not be changed. This is standard. You read any science textbook that your brain was pretty much formed as a child in infancy and then became much more, a little more uh, formed in, in childhood. And by the time you got to be an adolescent, your brain was pretty much shaped and formed. And for the entire 20th century, people basically believed the adult brain cannot be changed. But then a guy won the 2002 Nobel Prize 
in neurobiology for proving that you can rewire the adult brain. You can change your brain. It is elastic. It is not in concrete. And your brain can change. And it can be rewired regardless of what's happened in your past. You can change. Now, it's great that science in 2002 finally caught up with the Bible. Because 2,000 years earlier, in Romans 12, God said this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, the the habits and their pattern of thinking. But let God transform you, change your mind, change your brain, transform you. You know what that word transform is in Greek? Metamorphosis. It's the Greek word metamorphosis. It's what a cocoon goes through to become a butterfly. Let God turn you from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Let God metamorphosize your brain. Let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Change your brain, change your life. Now, in your brain, you've got this scale between the negative and the positive. And everything in the world is put negative in your life. You're no good, you're worthless, you don't amount to much, you're not sexy, you're not coordinated, you're not smart, you're not athletic, blah, 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 wah, 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 wah. And it's adding all these things. And on this scale, you're putting pebbles of truth, positive pebbles of truth on one side of your brain, or you're putting negative pebbles of the world's lies and Satan's lies in your life. Now, when you get more negative thoughts in your life than positive thoughts, the truth of God's word, and, you, and, and the scale tips like this, the negatives got up the most, that's called depression. That's why you're depressed. You gotta change it. Now, how do you change it? By putting pebbles of truth in your mind. And I'm not just talking about coming on Sunday. You feed your mind in the word of God. You read it, you memorize it, you meditate it. You do the 40 days in the word stuff we talked about. And you write little cards down and you memorize the word of God and you write out affirmations based on the word and you feed your mind. And the more you, every time you put these pebbles, suddenly the scales start tilting. Uh, uh, uh. And when you get here where they're equal and you have as many negative as, as you have positive, you know how you feel? You don't. You feel nothing. You say, I feel empty. I feel blah. Well, congratulations. You've moved from depression. Okay, you say, I don't feel anything. I'm not happy, but I'm just not sad anymore. Fine, you've moved to here. That's called blah. But the more you keep feeding your mind with the word of God, that's a technical term, it's in the dictionary. (laughs) The more you feed your mind with the word of God, all of a sudden, when you get like this, that's called happiness. And happiness is a choice. Don't blame anybody else for your unhappiness. You're as happy as you choose to think. You're as happy as you choose to believe. You're as happy as you choose to fill your mind with the right things. Philippians 4.8, here on the screen, up here. Dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts. That means intentional. It's an intentional focus. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. You need to fill your mind with the truth, not lies. You need to fill your mind with what's honorable, with the right thing, not the wrong thing. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. That doesn't sound like television. Not many admirable, pure, and lovely things on television. That doesn't sound like Fifty Shades of Grey. It may be popular, but it's pornography. It's poison, and you shouldn't be filling your mind with it. And you don't read everything just because it's popular. That's stupid. Yeah, you can clap for that. Go ahead. All right? Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right. Think on things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That means you get the garbage out of your life. You don't watch junk TV. There's some movies you don't go to, and there's a lot of books you just don't read. Because you think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now let me give you a suggestion on how to do this. Those of you who are interior decorators are going to hate me for this. Don't put stuff on your walls that doesn't inspire you. 
Don't put stuff in your walls that doesn't mean anything to you. Surround yourself visually and orally with things that create good memories, that tell you who you are and tell you whose you are. So you see it all the time. Put the word of God on your walls. Put promises on the wall. Pick beautiful sunsets on the wall. Put whatever inspires you. Put things that create the positive memories in your life to reinforce those things. The best of both worlds is to take a positive memory from your past and put a scripture on it. You can rewire your brain. You can. It's a choice. I can choose what I think about. I can choose my consciousness. Now there's one more choice that I can make. And remember, the fifth card is the wild card. This is the wild card that can change the number and the suit, the color of every other card that I've been dealt. And the fifth choice that I can choose is this. I can choose Jesus as my savior. And when I talk about savior, I'm not just talking about saving you out of hell and into heaven. I'm not just talking about saving you from your sins and forgiving you. You ought to have done that. If you haven't done that, you need to settle that one today. That's the first thing. But I'm talking about letting Jesus be your Savior every day. This changes everything. Because when I choose Jesus as my Savior every day, I get the power to follow through on these choices. I can make these choices, but I'm not going to stick with them on willpower. I've got to make choices and then depend on Jesus to give me the power to do these things. I choose him as my savior and I say, Jesus, I need you to save me from my chemistry. I need you to save me from my physical, emotional, mental defects. I need your salvation in my heart, body, mind. Jesus, I need you to save my relationships. They're going south. I need you to save me to have healthy relationships, not hurtful, harmful ones. And Jesus, I need you to save me from my circumstances, from the problems, from the pressures, from the trauma, from the trouble. And Jesus, I need need you to save my mind and help put a guard up there. Help me put on the helmet of salvation. What's a helmet for? To guard your mind so it's protected you from the thoughts that come in and influence because your mind controls your life. I need you to save me. Jesus, I need you to save me, not from sin. I need you to save me from myself. The Bible says this. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has become. It's like being born again. It's like starting over. That's a whole new identity. Now, you think that you're waiting on God to change something in your life. God, I've really wanted to be married. God, I've really wanted to get healthier. God, I've I've really wanted to have that job. All those things that you think you're waiting on God for, God says, I'm waiting on you to use the wild card I gave you. Because according to your faith, it will be done unto you. You get to choose. You get to choose how much I bless your life. And it is never too late to start over. Say, it's too late to change. No, it is not. It's too late. No, it is not. It is not. Now, when I choose, when I use the wild card that God has given me, and I choose to get healthier, and I choose to start risking healthy connections, And when I choose to trust God, no matter what the circumstances are, and when I choose to change the way I think, and when I choose Jesus as my Savior, he gives me a winning hand. Now, I know you understand this. And I know that these principles will change your life. But only if you do something about it. If you walk out and you say, well, that was a great message. That was one of Rick's better ones. It's not going to make any difference in your life. you got to start making the choices today, right now, this second. What are you going to do about what you've just heard? Pray this prayer. 
Dear God, there's some things in my hand that you've dealt me and that life has dealt me and that others have dealt me that I don't like. But I thank you for the wild card that you made me in your image and I can make choices. So today, in your power and in your strength, I choose to get healthier. I choose to do the things that will give me more energy and a healthier body and a healthier mind and healthier emotions. You made my body, Lord. Now give me sense to heed your laws. And you think about what you need to do in a practical way to get healthy or healthier. Then say, Lord, I choose to build healthy relationships. I'm so scared to death, but I'm going to risk building some new healthy connections. There's no fear in love. Help me to get the focus off me and onto others. I want love to be my highest goal. I want to become a great lover. Jesus Christ, I want my heart to be filled with you by faith. And I want to be strong in love. And I want to be built on love. Dear God, I choose to trust you regardless of the circumstances. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I'm going to trust that every detail of my life is being worked out for good and for God. I want to be like Jesus. I want to see the original intended shape of my life in him. Dear God, thank you that I can choose and I do choose what I think about. No more garbage in my mind. No more junk, no more pornography, no more gross stuff. I want to think on things that are lovely and pure and honest and true. Help me to fill my life with the positive memories that you've given me and the word of truth And help me to put pebbles of truth on the scale of my mind on an hourly basis. I choose to think about what you want me to think about. Most of all, Jesus, I choose you as my Savior. And I need you to do more than save me from my sins. I need that. I need more than salvation into heaven. I need that. I need you to save me from myself. I need you to save me from all the things that have shaped me in the wrong ways. I need you to help me to rewire my mind, my body, my heart, my relationships, and every part of my body so that the best of my life is the rest of my life. And I pray this In the name of my Savior, Jesus, amen. We hope that you've been encouraged by this message. For a transcript and outline of this message or other resources, please visit saddlebackresources.com.